how do you want to start tonight? Um, it's you lead. I'll follow. If you lead, I will we did follow. Music last time. Start with music tonight. Everywhere it's Golden Girls that you tell me to. If you need, you need me to be. With I feel like everything you. about this show is the antithesis of Golden Girls. Oh, I don't know, Daniel. No. We're pretty cold. <laughs> And we're both approximately 70 years old, so. That's true. We are both approximately 70 years old. Yeah. Uh, Tell the listeners what you did today. Uh, well, feck. Um, I, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I woke up, uh, had a good morning, and then I drank two cups of coffee, and that was a poor idea. Bye-bye, entire day. Yeah, it <laughs> it's really. Gone. So I am a bit of. And that's not a sound effect, you guys. I'm watching him make this noise right now <laughs> with his mouth. <laughs> sound effects for comparison. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I don't know. I feel like yours is more authentic. Thank you. Yeah, I'm a bit of an anomaly because I don't drink coffee very often. Um, and I'm a law student, which a lot of my peers, like when I tell them I, I don't drink coffee, they look at me with like this wild, like questioning in their eyes. She doesn't, though. I don't. I drink a shit ton of tea. And tea also has caffeine. So it's not like I'm going without caffeine. I just, I am not addicted to caffeine. I have been addicted to caffeine in the past and I hated it a lot. So I don't drink coffee. I get jittery if I have too much. Today I had two cups instead of one and I haven't had coffee in I think probably two and a half months. So yeah, it ruined my entire day. So yes. I did try to study for property. It is reading week, you guys. So it's we're back. Period. It's a little different because it's pass fail now. Corona. Uh-huh. Corona, pass, fail, um, which definitely takes a lot of the stress off, but it doesn't alleviate the fact that I just property is not my cup of tea. So property isn't like my ideal topic. It's, how, how long are your study notes for property? My outline, which is like a way to study as you outline the entire course yes. of knowledge is 82 oh. pages. <laughs> 82 pages, everyone. So it didn't go super well today. But Megan has been kind enough to prepare a case for us anyway. I have. We are eternally grateful. Yes, and it's not a property case, thank God. I've had and, those today. and as far as what work I am doing for the podcast, I have been kind enough to pour myself a mug of wine. A mug of wine. And that is what I have done. It's not even mold wine that should be in a cup. No, I'm... I. I didn't have a great day either, and it's the wine in a mug kind of a day. You know, it's just been, it's nice. It's a Sunday, and it was rainy, which you think would be great. Supper has been, like, drizzly and rainy for, like, five days, and we need to see and the sunshine. we haven't left the house. And it's just been, like, depressing. I'm sure you all are keenly aware of this feeling that we are experiencing. Yes. Um, unless you are an essential worker, uh, in which case, thank you for leaving the house. You make the world go round. But we are feeling rather dull in the doldrums you said it earlier that's yes. the exact feeling yes yeah so anyway i poured myself a mug of wine it is um a white wine because i do not trifle with the red wines also i think you'd fall asleep i have no love for tannins tannins can go fuck off aren't tannins like i'm eating ice cream aren't tannins the like remnants of the grape skins i have no idea i don't care i just know that they're bad and <laughs> he evil. only knows things about alcohol that he cares about you guys and, um <laughs> Listen, I just wanted a crisp white wine. And so we're drinking Oyster Bay, New Zealand Sauvignon Blanc. Do you think it goes really well with oysters, like it pairs? Oh, ex this would be excellent with oysters. It would be brilliant. I love oysters. Yeah. I really do. So he's drinking it in a mug that my friend gave me that says... Uh, there is a chance this is wine. It's not a chance. It's a guarantee. <laughs> it's a 100% right? money back 
perfectly good hand. That's right. It's a 100% perfect. <laughs> it is a 100% perfect or 100% good, good guarantee. Still not that, sure on the difference there. That this <laughs> is wine inside of this mug. So, Megan, you have prepared, you have done the actual work and prepared a case. Yes. What are we reading? This well, week? first, I would like to say, as it is reading week, Daniel is drinking wine in a mug. Right. And I am enjoying my and my my yes. semesterly. I mean, I eat more than one pint a semester, but during reading week and our recordings, right? The frequency pint of, of pints consumed elevates significantly. Mm-hmm. Daniel went and bought three this week, yeah. <laughs> like an angel. So yes, I have put together the work on this. So what legal tomfoolery have you brought us this evening? Okay, so last time we talked about con law, it was Marbury versus Madison. Yes, it was classic, like eighteen oh three or something the like that. Origin story. Yeah, of judicial review. Of the Supreme Court as we know it. Yeah, part of their origin story, yes. So, Daniel, we are fast-forwarding 200 years. Oh. To the year, the crisp, bright year of 2005. Oh, great. Yeah, so we're in the modern era. Okay. Yeah, or post-modern, sure. I suppose. Post-9-11. Yeah, yep. Uh, this is this is Bush White House. Bush White House. This is... His second term. So, uh, this all happened when we were in elementary school. My third grade teacher's name was Anne... And she had a mushroom cut. That's all I remember about mushroom her. Mushroom cut? Yeah, she did. It was, oh, my God. It was so bizarre. Wow. My third grade teacher was named Mrs. McLaughlin. I swear to God, I know her first name, but I couldn't tell you right now. And she was great. The one memory I really have of that class uh-huh. is one time there was a group of us that was um, misbehaving. And you uh-huh. know that whole like communal punishment thing that they do when you're in yes. primary school? In elementary school. One of you misbehaves, you all must suffer. Yeah. So we had to like stay like five minutes in from recess with our heads right. down. Did you ever put, did you ever have to put your heads down? What the fuck? That is was like that? a group punishment thing that we did in our school. Oh my god. Yeah, they like would turn off the lights and like you're in a pod room, so like you don't really have a door in the room. There's like other pod rooms around you, so like all the other kids can see you. It's like a group shaming thing. I don't know like how healthy that is for psyches. I think it's very obviously unhealthy. I mean, if you weren't the wrongdoers, you have that like kind of like defensive mechanism in your brain. That, like, oh, I'm just doing this. This is this is very obvious emotional manipulation. Well, I mean, how else do you train children? <laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs> so that's the memory I have is someone was doing something mean. And I very clearly hear her voice saying, we do not. And then whatever followed. I don't remember. Love, I blocked love, it out. love the royal we. Love I know. That. Yeah. So uh, anyways, 2005. Okay. So this is in the unit that in my common class on the commerce clause. Ooh, I don't even really know that much about the commerce clause. I mean, this is, is this interstate commerce? Yeah. So the commerce clause uh-huh. um, is not in an amendment. It's in the original version of the constitution that was signed. It is in article one um, oh. There are many articles to the Constitution. Right. Article one is about the legislature. Okay. Um, article two is about the executive branch. Article three is about um, the judiciary. So Article right. one, Section eight, Clause three. Okay. This is the Commerce Clause. All it says is that the United States Congress shall have the power to regulate commerce with mm. foreign nations and among the several states and with the Indian tribes. Oh. That's all it says. It's amazing, like, how many words have been written in judicial opinions about very few words basis in the Constitution. Like, that's all. That's all the Commerce Clause is. And then you have all these cases about it and, like, precedent. And, like, what does it mean? And the meaning is, like, it's kind of like the Bible. Like, there are very few words in the Bible compared to, like, the amount of meaning people take from it. I guess you could say governments like religion. So, yeah, it's very few words with 
what you would think is like a lot of meaning yeah. wrapped up in there. 100%. So there was like this whole history of how the Commerce Clause was interpreted basically after the New Deal. So okay. New Deal, we have FDR. It's like 1937. Yeah. And he starts like doling out all of these new like executive orders and acts of legislation. Right. I mean, we had the Great Depression. Like This might happen after Corona. Just keep your eye out, kids. No. Um, And it was a way to revitalize the country. Right. And he kept getting all of these challenges in court oh, right. against all of yeah, these yeah. programs. Because some of them were unpopular. Yeah, a lot of them were because it was, a lot of it was like socialized programming. So you have um, essentially like 1930s libertarians or conservatives at the time essentially saying like every person has to pull themselves up by their bootstraps, you know, like we're not here to give handouts. And Roosevelt was like, well, the only way you're going to rebuild an economy after this fucking disaster is if you create a compassionate economy right right and um i have no idea if he said those words i would like to think that he did or right. at least eleanor did and so that's like when the commerce clause was really expanded in use his justification for when he was like facing all these lawsuits uh-huh. or the programs were under scrutiny was well all of these activities have to do with the interstate commerce which is what is in the Commerce Clause. You know, the Commerce Clause is like Congress has the power to regulate commerce between other nations. So that'd be international trade among the several states. Right. And then like between the Indian tribes. So a lot of Roosevelt's New Deal programs Mm -hmm. were uh, backed by statutes, which are written by Congress. Oh, so that's how he can use the Commerce Clause. Mm -hmm. Because it's a congressional power. Got it. Yeah, it's not a police power, which is for the executive branch. And so he sort of had Congress like working with him Mm -hmm. on a lot of this stuff. Yeah, I don't know like the like whole political background. But I do know that the Supreme Court Mm -hmm. was really resistant, actually. And he was even he got to the point where he was threatening to um, start stalking the Supreme Court in a court packing plan is what it was mm. called because there is no provision in the constitution that says there must be nine just you know like you can really? just so nowhere in the constitution does it say it's all just based on congressional statute the number of justices that have to be on the supreme court okay so it's gone through all these ups and downs so like in 1807 congress increased the number of justices from like six to seven because remember that judiciary act that we talked about in the last yeah yeah. Uh that one said the number should be six and then congress was like we'll be better if we had an odd number in case it's an even split so we should have seven and then you know like 30 years later it was bumped up to nine Mm. and then it bumped up to 10 which is more than we have now and then you know this is all happening like within 60 years like this is around the civil war when they keep like going back yeah, I mean, the government was in all kinds of tumult yeah. at that time. So 1866, they knocked it back down to seven to like stop Andrew Johnson from appointing anyone new to the court because Congress was rather against Andrew Johnson at the time. Mm. And then later they raised it back up to nine where it has stood ever since. But then in 1937, right. when Roosevelt was facing all these court challenges yeah, yeah. to his New Deal legislation, mm-hmm. he had Congress on his side and he really tried to convince them to pass legislation that would allow a new justice to be added to the court for up to a total of 15 members. So he was like, I'm, he's like all you old justices that are not getting on the bandwagon towards like revitalizing our country. I will replace you all with people that are like younger and are like on my side and are more liberal. And that basically was obviously a huge deal because that doubles the size almost at least like what like 80 percent of the court from nine to 15 you know i'm just having a thought that i will offer 
you can't get rid of Brett Kavanaugh and Neil Gorsuch, you could outnumber <laughs> them. I'm just, it's just a thought that I'm having in this moment. And you knew. Don't make anything of it. The thing, like, you know that it was ageist because it was like, I will be able to raise, like, I will add one new justice. He said one new justice for any justice over 70 who opts not to retire. He's like, you're all old and not right. getting on the bandwagon. DNC, if you're listening <laughs> right now. I'm sure that they've considered it. Uh, so the reason so FDR is threatening the court with this like judicial packing possible legislation. Right. So there's this thing that happens that is called the switch in time that saved the nine. So for like mm. all these court cases, they were going against him. It was five, four, five, four, five, four. Right. The vote was five to right. four to go against him. Uh-huh. And at the final, you know, the 11th hour mm-hmm. or whatever, mm-hmm. um, Justice Roberts, the first one, not the one that is. Okay. Now, he started voting in favor of New Deal laws so oh. that Roosevelt wouldn't push through the legislation to add more justices. Whoa. So the switch in time that saved the nine, like not switch in time as in like you go back in time, but like he switched his votes over just in time so that there would only be nine justices on the court. And wow. Yeah. So that is how like dramatic the Commerce Clause has become. Yeah. <laughs> and it has only gotten like more amped up. So okay. you have... This huge expansion from 1937 to 1995 of Commerce Clause cases. Right, and which they, starts with the New Deal. Yeah, starts with the New Deal. Mm-hmm. Up until the New Deal, it was like nothing. Like okay. there was like, I don't know, I think I have two cases here right. that are about like the Commerce Clause pre-New Deal. Okay. Wow. Um, after that, I have like, I think 20 cases <laughs> about the Commerce Clause. Okay. Um, and I'm not going to talk about because we're talking about a case in 2005, yeah. but just the buildup is that um, the court is starting to figure out how they're going to look at legislation that has been backed by the idea that it is supported by interstate commerce. Mm-hmm. And when you start thinking about that, Congress is like, well, if the court isn't going to use like a super strict scrutiny to look at the connection between the Commerce Clause and what our legislation is trying to do, we can make the Commerce Clause like connect to anything. So they started mm. passing laws that were anti-discrimination laws, and they were saying that discrimination in the South mm-hmm. affects interstate commerce because no right. black people or people of color want to go down to the South and patronize businesses mm-hmm. and like get involved, like stay at hotels or restaurants. Oh, whoa. And also all these hotels and restaurants are all part of interstate commerce because they're getting food sent in from out of state to like, yeah. and they don't, they're not promoting federal as in like national values. It's true. And so, you know, there were a couple cases about that, uh, Heart of Atlanta Motel versus U.S., Katzenbaugh versus McClung, those were all, you know, kind of anti-discriminatory statutes that were backed up by the Commerce Clause successfully. Mm. Okay, cool. Um, Wow. Yeah. That's really interesting. That's the setting. And the test that the court comes up with during this like 60-year period Uh is something called the substantial effects test. Okay. So when I say test in the Supreme Court, I mean, when you are approaching a mathematical problem, Uh you need to know what tools you're going to use to solve this problem. Mm-hmm. Sometimes that means you need to balance the equation on both sides. You right. might have to divide. Foil. Yeah, foil. Right. Foil is a test that you use mm-hmm. to essentially proof the problem. Okay. So the Supreme Court is looking at a bunch of factors, right. truly facts in a case, right. and they need to know what tool are they going to use right. to determine the outcome of this case. And also they're they're trying to come up with like sort of a, 
I would think, like a kind of hard and fast rule. Yeah, they want to be able to apply it to future cases. Right, and that means that you need to develop like a system in which you're going to evaluate this. Mm -hmm. It's like a rubric, essentially. Or a checklist. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah. okay. So that's what I mean when I say test. So some things in the Supreme Court are under strict scrutiny. So anything that has to do with discrimination based on race nowadays Mm. is under strict scrutiny. Okay. So you can't, like, it's got to be like a really fucking good reason. Right, if you have a law that involves race the use of race in the law has to be really, really, really like important and justifiable. Yeah. So it has to have like a a very strong, there's like specific wording. And Mm -hmm. if we do a case on equal protections clause, that's where it comes from. Great. But this test Mm -hmm. is a substantial effects test. So does this thing that Congress is trying to regulate Mm -hmm. have a substantial effect on interstate commerce? Okay. And you're like, what does substantial mean? Well, if This thing were to happen. I guess kind of vague when you think about it. Yeah. So if this thing were to happen in aggregate, so Mm -hmm. if everyone were to do this or if many people were to do this, would it affect interstate commerce? If the answer is yes, then the legislation is all good to go under the Commerce Clause. So like if it's if it's like laws having to do with the roads, like maybe tolls or something. Yeah. That could, you know, because because truck drivers who are responsible for a lot of the nation's commerce drive the highways and Mm -hmm. pay tolls. Yeah. Is that like an example of. I would say so. Yeah. I don't know if there's like more like specific like transportation themed laws out there, but Mm -hmm. I think that that's a a very straightforward example. So very quickly, the seminal case on this is important to know for the case that we're going to look at. It's called Wickard v. Filburn. Filburn is this farmer, a wheat farmer. A wheat? Wheat farmer. It's not a wheat farmer. Not alfalfa. Wheat. Wheat. Right. So he's a wheat farmer and he's been growing wheat since 1942. Growing wheat not fighting in the war. He's a farmer. He's important. Uh, He gets his quota out to market. And the United States passes this law that says you have to like only grow up to this quota and you can't grow more. Because if you do that, it's going to fuck up the market and the prices are going to go all wonky. And we just got out of the Great Depression, you guys. Can we all get on board? Right. So Wickard, you know, he's a farmer. He grows wheat, gets his quota out there, And the leftovers he uses for his own personal use. He's not selling it on his own. He's not Mm. giving it to some wheat, wheat black market. Right. He's using it. Just baking some bread. Right. He's using it for himself. He's probably using it as feed. I have no idea. This case is about whether or not he can use his own little portion of wheat. And that that is the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard. Using your own wheat is the most American thing. Hello, this is America. Right. Uh, But this is a very, very liberal doctrine. A very liberal Mm. doctrine. So this is where the aggregation doctrine really comes from, where the court says by growing his own wheat, Mm -hmm. Philburn has lowered the amount of wheat that would be purchased. So he's using his own wheat, which means he's not buying wheat from the market. Oh, and if everybody did that, then it would substantially affect the wheat market. So that's that's the idea of the aggregate test. Right. So if you look at it as if everybody or many people acted as he would Mm, in the aggregate, mm. would it affect interstate commerce? Yes. Yes. So now here's my question. Could the country outlaw gardens? Could America outlaw vegetable gardens? That's my question. Well, Daniel. No. Did I get it? It's not vegetable gardens. No. But the 2005 case has to do with growing your own. Marijuana? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) God, you guess it every time. Wow. I'm pretty smart. You guys. So gardens. It's California. It's the early 2000s. Okay. Backing it up just a little bit. In 1970, Congress passed this act called the Comprehensive Drug Abuse Prevention and Control Act. 
This was like during the beginning of the war on drugs to combat illegal drug use in the U.S. Later, they enacted the Controlled Substances Act, which started like putting different drugs into different schedules. Uh So basically categorizing them and like how they're going to be controlled and what all the rules are about them. And then, you know, fast forward 25 years, 1996, Mm -hmm. California. So not Congress, California, they enacted their own law called the Compassionate Use Act, which allowed the use of marijuana if it was prescribed by a physician to be used by people uh, afflicted with severe health problems. Mm -hmm. Okay, And so, you know, a couple of years later, you have these two individuals. Okay, I believe it's pronounced Angel Raish, but it could be Angel Raish and Diane Monson. They're both the plaintiffs in this case. So, yeah, this is... And they are California residents and they're both living with severe health issues. Okay. Um, And they have been growing in their own gardens, their own marijuana. Right. So they are not buying it from anybody. Like weed is not legal in California at this point. Right. So they're not engaging in any sort of like illegal interstate commerce. They're just truly growing their own, like right. cultivating their own right. to use it on, by themselves. Then, you know, even though they're protected under the California statute, federal agents seized and destroyed their marijuana plants. Right. Which is just like shitty. Like that's just shitty. Like this is your medicine and you see all these federal agents come in and then just like fire hose it. I don't know if they did that, I mean, but like that sucks. ATF, DEA, not our favorite agencies. That sucks. It just sucks. Yeah. And the Supreme Court agrees with me. So, Oh, <laughs> really? Yeah. Wow. <laughs> Wait, they kind of agree with me. Okay. Raish is really pissed off. So Raish sues uh, the Attorney General of the United States at the time, who's Alberto Gonzalez. Okay. And Raish is seeking injunctive and declaratory relief. So instead of seeking money damages, this is, you know, it's a st- civil suit. Mm-hmm. So Raish is seeking uh, injunctive, which means stop right now. Yes. Stop acting on this act or regulation. Right. And declaratory, meaning that they want a judgment from the court saying this is wrong. It should be stopped. And you're in the right Going forward. Going forward. Okay. Yeah. So that's what Raish wants and wants to prohibit the enforcement of the federal law in favor Mm -hmm. of the state law. So we have a 10th Amendment issue here as well because that's about state laws. So the Court of Appeals ruled that the federal law was an invalid exercise of Congress's Commerce Clause. So Congress had passed this act about Mm. controlled substances saying that, you know, this is largely justified because we want to be able to control the drug market in the United States, even though it's illegal. Which is like kind of this weird under thing. Like, oh. can, does it count as commerce if it's illegal? Right. Like, is all the this black stuff. market? It seems to be kind of like they do talk about it in the case, but it doesn't seem to be like hmm. decisional at all. Like, it doesn't really affect the outcome. It's just like happens to be like this can also like side note can apply to illegal markets. Great. So then Gonzalez, the government, right. appealed to the Supreme right, Court. Right, because obviously they would not be very happy with that decision. No, they like, you know, I mean, Congress spent time and money and committees and subcommittees, right. like years probably, like going through this. Right, and the government has a justifiable, in some cases, we shall put a big asterisk there, <laughs> big fatal asterisk, Yeah, has a justifiable reason to want to regulate illicit drugs, you know. I mean, obviously, we're we're dealing with the heroin epidemic right now. I think mm-hmm. it's fair to say that we want to be able to get heroin out of the market mm-hmm. uh, and also, you know, deal with treatments and addiction and economic revitalization, like multi-pronged approach. But one of them has to be removing drugs from the market, you would think. So that's certainly the government's right. position. Right. So they get to the Supreme Court. And okay. the question is whether Congress can regulate the use and production of homegrown weed, which is legalized in the states, Mm -hmm. as this activity in the aggregate 
might rationally be seen as having a substantial economic effect right. on interstate commerce, even though that interstate commerce is illegal. Right. So they're saying we, the government is saying we passed this law because it has a public policy element to it, which is like we're trying to eliminate the use of illegal drugs, right. um, whether or not you think they should be illegal. And we are able to do this because the drug trade affects interstate commerce. Yeah. I not mean, only is are the drugs themselves being moved across state lines, but people that are moving the drugs across state lines are using interstate commerce. Like mm-hmm. they are staying at hotels. They are going to restaurants. Absolutely. Like, you know, it's a very loosey-goosey. Remember, all yeah. it has to do is like be a substantial effect. And also don't forget about the special interests because... The people who are like, let's say that everybody grows their own weed. Now, sales of painkillers are probably going to go down. Mm -hmm. So there are are those economic aspects to think about as well. Yeah, absolutely. So that's a question to the court. Okay. And the court decides that Raisha's activity of growing weed for home use can be rationally seen as having a substantial effect. Same thing as the weed guy. Right. If everybody grows their own own weed, then, you know, you... That's going to be a big deal. Yeah. And it does affect the interstate commerce, even though it's illegal. <laughs> right. right. Um, so Justice Stevens is mm-hmm. writing this opinion. OK. Uh, and he basically says by using the aggregate test, you could say that Raisha's addition of homegrown marijuana to the national scheme. Yeah has a significant effect on Congress's ability to get rid of marijuana right. Um, right. on the national illegal marijuana market. Mm-hmm. So it is like affecting this market, albeit illegal. Right. The court agrees with me in dicta. So dicta is basically everything that the court says that is outside of like the main core of the ruling. Mm. The court says that sucks. That just, you know, you I understand that you have a really shitty problem, you know, health issue. They are compassionate with them. They're not Mm. just saying like you're illegal drug pushers. They're saying like you have a good reason to do this. Right. But we do have this really liberal test. So even though the court agrees with me that it's shitty that this happened, mm-hmm. they ultimately hold that it does have a substantial relationship to the Commerce Clause. I see. So Scalia concurs. Okay. Our favorite. Um, and Yikes. So he was like, not only does this work with the Commerce Clause, mm-hmm. but this also works with the Necessary and Proper Clause. Oh. Which I think is in the 14th Amendment, might be the 5th Amendment. They're basically the same. Um, They are. (laughs) One affects the states and one affects the federal government. So it would probably be in the Fifth Amendment then. Let me check this. (laughs) In the Necessary and Proper Clause, Congress can basically regulate intrastate activity. So even without the Commerce Clause, Mm -hmm. could regulate something that is just within one state. Right. Because of the Necessary and Proper Clause, which says like Congress can enact like any law that is necessary that is necessary and proper to carry out any of their duties. Oh. So if they have a duty to uh, eliminate illegal drugs, and right. that would obviously be an implied duty, not an express duty, because there's nowhere in the Constitution talks about that. Right. You know, then you could. He's basically saying Necessary and Proper Clause is like an open door. Right. Like if like if you know most of U.S. production of salmon comes from the state of Alaska, mm-hmm. the government can still regulate it because that salmon gets shipped all across the country and the government has an obligation to make sure that we don't have like foodborne illnesses. Or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that would work under the Commerce Clause and under the Necessary and Proper right. Clause. So then Justice O'Connor comes in with a dissent against Scalia. Okay. And she's like, okay, Sandra is all about states' rights. Yes. Like she is like a big federalist, as in like for the federation, not for nationalism. Okay. And she... Is like to Scalia, who 
I just, I feel like Sandra, I don't know anything about her, her life, <laughs> but I feel like she would probably get really annoyed with Antonin because he is like this weird flip-flop conservative because he doesn't like stick really on any particular issue unless it's like a social issue. He's just like, he should be a conservative in this and be like, the government shouldn't be interceding in right. states' rights and in individuals in their own gardens. Mm-hmm. But he's like, nah, this is drugs. I'll just like go with it. You right. know? <laughs> I mean, is that an originalism thing? He was very big on he's like very big on originalism. the words, word by word by word. Uh, I think that that's where his necessary and proper argument is coming from. Right. Um, And it might be where his commerce clause is coming from, but that's more based on like the judicial interpretation of the past. Like, remember, the commerce clause is only those like 10 words. Right, right, right. So, you know, it really... He's picking and choosing here. He's, yeah. (laughs) And she basically shoots back at Scalia and she's like, Mm -hmm. just because it's necessary doesn't mean it's proper. And that's also a thing, like, that's a separate Mm -hmm. thing with the necessary and proper clause. Right. It's like people really just focus on, like, the necessary part and they forget about the proper part. (laughs) That's, honestly, that's a really good point that I would not have noticed at all. Yeah. So that's That's something. quite brilliant. Sandra just, like, twists the knife a little bit there. But she's in the dissent, so she's, you know, losing anyways. And when you're in the dissent, you really have the freedom to say whatever the fuck you want. (laughs) And she does some pretty good sense. I yeah. appreciate her. Um, so that is the, the Commerce Clause and how it has affected interstate commerce and also how it has affected things that you wouldn't normally think of as attaching to interstate commerce. I mean, nowadays, I think if you were to try and regulate discrimination, you would use a 14th Amendment argument. Right. Um, but in the early days where they're testing that out, even I think the decisions with the discrimination cases were the same year as Mm. the Civil Rights Amendment. Right. So all this is like pretty new. Um, So it was kind of a cool loophole to get equal protection. I mean, they didn't extend it to violence against women. So, you know, I mean, it isn't a catch all for everything, Mm -hmm. um, but it can be a way for the government to kind of like finagle its way into regulating like really specific things. Right. Uh, with the backup of like, well, this is under the Commerce Clause. So, so interestingly, I mean that that just means that the government could enforce that law if they wanted to. But like now, for example, in D.C., it is legal to grow your own weed. Yeah, and that would clash with the Controlled Substances Act, but it's not enforced. Like the federal government's not descending on the District of Columbia mm-hmm. and taking everyone's pot plants. Yeah, and so much of it has to do with like. You have to like always think about like zoom out, like what's the political field right, looking like? Right. Like at this time, it was like in the middle, kind of towards the end of the war on drugs. Right. We're kind of focusing on different things now. Like it's becoming a little bit more accepted in the last 15 years. Yeah. State more states have made it legal. So there's much more of a 10th Amendment like angle to it. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, I, there has been like regulations and there has been lawsuits and all this sorts of stuff. Sure. But, you know, eventually kind of like what they did with women's suffrage, um, well, white women's suffrage, is they just kind of were like, okay, fine. You know, yeah, <laughs> here you go. <laughs> right. right. So, okay. So, yeah. So, so that is Gonzalez v. Raish. Yes. Raish, okay. Raish. I'm going to say Raish. Raish? Who knows? Right. I mean, let's hope not. <laughs> don't, dis- don't discount the Yiddish. You never know. Yeah. So that is uh, what I learned from Conlad. Daniel, what did you learn from today's case? Well, it seems like, according to case law, it is okay for the government to stop you from growing your own weed maybe not that you can't grow your own weed because obviously as we just talked about in some places you can grow your own weed it all depends on the time you know i i am still interested in this question could the government outlaw gardens i think that it would be an overreach 
Right. I mean, I would think so, too. Like like people do gardening for all sorts of reasons. It makes them feel good. It makes them feel happy. There are expression like freedom of speechy kind of mm-hmm. ideas that bubble up. But, it, you know, it made me think like like in a future post-apocalyptic America where we have, you know, issues with the food supply. Could the government just say, no, you can't grow tomatoes. Actually. You have to sell everything. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, if you happen to know whether the government can outlaw yeah if the the government can ban gardens uh that's terrible yeah and it is the springtime season so i hope things are planting well for them yes if you're doing gardening tell us what you're planting yes i wish i could be i hope that it is corn to be made into bourbon yes (laughs) um although that i think is illegal as well possibly (laughs) i mean moonshine is technically not allowed but if you want to send me some slide into our email address. I think that's got to do with internet, uh, interstate commerce right there. Which, by the way, is drunklawschoolpodcast at gmail.com. That's right. And you can find us on Instagram. Yes. At drunklawschool. If you've been involved in any fun legal cases, we would love to hear about them. If you've made any of our drink recipes, we would love Let to us know how it went. Some pictures. Tell us your thoughts. Let us know if you put too much sriracha in the bee's knuckles. Yes. Or, um, Tell us if you liked our wine recommendations. We do love a Sauvignon Blanc from New Zealand. A nice crisp white. We really do. If you've enjoyed our podcast, please uh, review us. Give us five stars. It helps other people find the show. Uh, We would really, really appreciate it. You can also support us by going to anchor.fm slash drunk law school and clicking on the button. Corona times, it's not money times, but if it's money times for you, then make it money times for us. That would be great. Thank you. And have a good reading week, everybody. Yes, we will be back with another class of Drunk Law School very soon. See you next time. Bye, guys. Bye.